Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, coming to you live from San Francisco Film Festival 2021. Again, we're still in our houses though. And a little bit of a disclaimer, um, I am re-recording this intro because having a little bit of troubles with all my festival coverage, um, I apologize to not only the artists, but the festivals uh, that I was involved with. Um, there's been a lot of technical difficulties getting these up there with my provider and everything else, but they're coming up now. So please enjoy. Please go back. Please check out these films. And when you see them hit the film festivals in the, in the fall and winter, please go check these films out. To start this off, let's go down with some of the highlights from this year's San Francisco Film Festival. You had Naked Singularity, Zimakiri, uh, directed by Oscar Algeria. Then there's Captains of Zatari, radiograph of a family, Home, Strawberry Mansion, About Leela, uh, the brand new documentary about Rita Marino, uh, just a girl who decided to go for it. The Eric Bana film, directed by Robert Connolly, The Dry, Holler which I'm sure a lot of you have seen. It's been getting a lot of buzz. Uh, Holler is definitely one to check out. Ma Bell, My Beauty, The Perfect Candidate, super cool. But we had some highlights out of this year. Those highlights included, well, let's just get into it. First up, Prano Bailey Bond talking about her film Censor. Prano do you like being called a horror filmmaker at this point? Because you really are so much more. <laughs> That's so nice. Um, I haven't got a problem with being called a horror filmmaker. Um, it's funny because I never, I, I think I've been a horror, I've been making horror-y type things for longer than I realized. And so I didn't actually think of myself as a horror filmmaker until somebody else pointed that out to me when they were looking for a director for a horror thing. They'd seen my work years ago and they said, oh, we've seen your showreel and you look like a horror director. And I was like, oh, am I a horror director? And I looked at my work and I was like, oh yeah, I think I am a horror director. Um, but no, I, I embrace it in that I love horror. So, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being a horror director. But I do think I want to work in all kinds of you know dark dark you know nightmare films really like not necessarily horror because sometimes that's dark drama or thriller or yeah well i know in the past that you've said like guys like david lynch and harmony kareen even somebody like quentin tarantino really did influence you early on do you feel like you're still using those <laughs> kinds of filmmakers as your film school going forward every time that you tackle a new project? That's a really interesting question because I think when you tackle a new project, you're always looking for the kind of films that are going to inspire that particular project. So it might not be that you always go back to the same directors, but there might be some films or some filmmakers that, like David Lynch for me, always... Uh, sparks you know he he 
I suppose, supports my creativity in different ways in terms of even his approach to filmmaking. Like he's such a good teacher in the way he talks about, you know, writing and where he talks about the idea of going fishing and catching fish. And that's an, a helpful thing to remember when you're sitting and you're writing and maybe the ideas aren't coming that day and you can go, it's okay, there's nothing to panic about here. But then, you know, I think you can find inspiration in loads of different places for new projects. Um, in fact, the other night I rewatched uh, We Are the Flesh, the Mexican film, and it was so good. Like, it was so good to rewatch that, you know, when I'm thinking about writing something new because it's just so insane and unexplainable and amazing. And you can remember that you don't have to, like kind of fit within certain rules and boundaries and so watching something like that even it might not be that you're working on anything at all similar but it'll just you know activate your brain in a way that's helpful when did you first work first start working on sensor was it (laughs) early into the pandemic did you spend the entire time editing it during the pandemic was it in the can even before it like where did it really start for you Um, so I've been thinking about, I think an idea sits in your brain for a film for quite a long time before you even, you know, it's those ideas that keep tapping you on the shoulder and don't go away. And that was sensor for me for a long time. Like it was sitting there and I was, you know, returning to video nasties and reading about video nasties and censorship and kind of brewing it. But then when I actually started working on it, it was probably started officially writing it around 2016. And then we wrote it for a, for a few years and we shot the main shoot was in um, the end of 2019. Um, and then we had a couple of days of pickups that we were going to shoot in March. And that was exactly when lockdown happened that exact week. So we put, had postponed it. So it was kind of interesting because, you know, how, like, when else do you get like a big rest in the middle of making a film? I was pretty tired. Um, so we had a big rest and then we picked it up in July when we were able to shoot again over here in the UK. And we did a few days filming in July and then completed the film um, through kind of on and off lockdown over here doing post production. We finished the film on December the 21st and then were like ready just in time for Sundance. That was going to lead me into my next question. Were you maybe going to hold on to the film and not even try to bring it out into the world in in 2021? Were were, were you ever thinking maybe I'm just going to hold off till 2022 on this one? Um, No, I don't. We, we did talk about like, I mean, when we first were told about Sundance, at that point, there were going to be physical screenings, they were going to do drive-ins, and then that wasn't possible. But I think, you know, it's it's different facing a, you know, digital premiere. It's not something we're used to as filmmakers. And obviously, with your debut feature, you really want to go and be there. But I think um, getting into Sundance was you know you put it in and you don't know if they're going to accept it or not and getting into Sundance was was so brilliant I think we always once we were in there it was like there was no no it was a no-brainer 
and and I'm really glad we didn't hold on to it because um Sundance was such a really like they did an amazing job of of a kind of online festival and um you know for us we kind of probably got more people watching the film because of the access uh being so much wider um so I'm glad we didn't hold on to it I can understand why somebody might want to but yeah this is the world we're in right now and I don't want to be <laughs> sitting on, on a film. I don't want it to be sitting on a hard drive on a shelf, you know, collecting dust. Were you surprised, elated? What did you think when you got such a warm response for this film at Sundance this year? And now coming into San Francisco Film Festival and Calgary Underground Film Festival the week afterwards... Are you excited that this film is going to live a little bit in the festival circuit? And where do you see it going from here? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing, the response um, at Sundance, because, you know, the days leading up to it, you're going, well, I'm just in my house, so I'm not going to sit in the cinema with an audience and feel the response to the film in the way that you normally would, you know, hearing people laugh at the bits you want them to or, you know, breathe in shock or, or... you know, all of that stuff is out the window because of it being remote. So I only had the internet, which can sometimes not be the nicest place, obviously. So you're just hoping that um, people are going to respond to it. And if they do respond to it, that they share it. And and it was incredible. Like, I felt actually connected to our audience through the, the people reaching out on social media and... Um, that was brilliant just to have be able to have that dialogue going even if it was a different kind of dialogue to what you'd normally have like going and speaking to people after a screening or, or sitting in a Q&A and seeing people's faces um so it was amazing and uh brilliant and then uh I really love film festivals so to be in you know San Francisco and Calgary and you know is amazing I just wish I could actually come to the festivals and be there um but I'm really glad that the film's kind of getting out and getting to more people's eyes and hopefully getting seen in in you know theatres as well but the next step um is our release in June in uh so um yeah Magnolia Pictures are releasing the film in uh, America North America in June. So I think June 11th is the current date that we're aiming for. And then in the UK, we're releasing in July. So it's kind of like a whirlwind. And I just hope that I get to see the film with an audience soon. That will be, that's my next big kind of aim for the film is that I get to actually watch it with other people on a big screen. What can we expect from you coming up now? Um, well, I'm writing a new project, but it's really early days, so I'm not not really able to talk about it yet. But um, I've got a couple of projects that I'm writing. One's kind of more horror in an obvious way, and, and the other one I'm not quite sure what it is yet. But that's exciting to like explore and see where it takes me. Pranel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I wish you nothing but luck with the festivals in Magnolia going forward. And I hope everybody goes and checks out this film. Thank you so much. Make sure to see Prano Bailey Bond Censor. It should be available now. Check it out. Track it down. Find it. Watch that film. If you're a fan of genre films, 
that is one that you need to watch. Next up, though, I have Nafis Lorenzen talking about her film, Seren Etis. And after that, we have Tasha Van Zandt talking about the absolutely amazing and wonderful After Antarctica. I'll be back later. Why this film and why now? Uh, I can say, uh, your name is Robert, right? Yes. Hi, Robert. Uh, I can say that, um, yeah, this film is actually urgent. (laughs) And we are in 2021. And I think this film has been urgent for many, many years. Uh, But in order to make this film, so I have uh, worked in a trilogy about Islam and gender. And just right after 9-11, I was on the way to leave my faith. Uh, I felt like I have nothing to do with this religion. And then I had something with me and God or the tradition and everything. So I decided to go deeper and find out what Islam is. And I um, have started actually uh, making a film about Islam and homosexuality, which I finished in 2008. It took me some years. And then I made the second film, which is called The Balloon for Allah. Uh, It's about Islam and feminism. And I have my story in it, in the film. And, uh, And the third film is called Islam and Masculinity. And I traveled several countries like Indonesia, Pakistan, Turkey, Kuwait, Bangladesh. And I, um, I um, uh, wanted to meet men who are feminists and who want to uh, change uh, this patriarchal system in the community, in the religion. Uh, so I've felt like, okay, I think maybe I have learned a lot and I'm so proud of being in this community. And I was on the way to do some other things. And then I decided to, to, I decided to make a film uh, about uh, female imams. And I was on the way to film uh, female imams all around the world and find out, you know, what it means to have women leaders in religion. And uh, then I met Seyran and I decided, yeah, I'm not going to make a film, which is about so many people, I'm going to make a film about her. So this is, uh, I hope it's an answer to your question. (laughs) Of course. Well, so she didn't really come into your consciousness until a little bit later, or did you know about Seyran a little bit earlier before you even originally talked to her? Uh, you know, I finished my trilogy 2014 and I immediately, yeah, started to make a film about female imams. It was like 2015, I guess, I started. So at that time, she didn't have her mosque. So I didn't know her. Uh, so I was, you know, I I know about Amina Wadud and I know about some other uh, uh women imams in in uh, in islam and uh, so i was also very interested in indonesian islam uh, i think it's very interesting and uh, so i was actually you know thinking kind of i was just thinking i was going to make a film about yeah about the community the world community of female 
imams. But uh, my mother gave me an article about uh, Seiran, and I was so amazed, and I immediately <laughs> traveled to Berlin, and uh, and I yeah I started to film uh, Seiran, and I I really like the way she is leading. And the way she is leading is also very interesting because she is a different way of leading, <laughs> and which I think uh, the patriarch patriarchs in all the religions should learn that uh, leading is actually serving because you serve to your community. Uh, you are not kind of just... Uh, sitting in the throne and waiting that everybody is going to serve you. So, uh, because, and I should also say to you, Robert, that I'm, I'm an independent filmmaker, so I'm not kind of, you know, making film to praise either a mosque or church or a concept or an institution. So I do follow my instincts and I scan things in a way. So that was for me the striking that she was leading uh, in a different way that I have seen that many uh, male imams were leading or have been leading. I'm glad that you mentioned that you're an independent filmmaker because when did you realize that film could be used as a medium to actually change the world? Was this something that you realized early on or was it not until you really got out there and started making films that, that this kind of notion came to you? Uh, my background is, uh, you know, I'm Turkish Norwegian. So I, uh, I was grown up in Istanbul and I have studied political science um so i'm you know i i love politics and uh, and art <laughs> uh but um and also i love writing poems i mean if i had uh, if i had you know a choice in a way i think i could have just sit down and write poems but then 200 people might read it you know it's how the poems are <laughs> Uh, but film, you have another, you have, you have this collective um, process that I love working with my team. And I have a very, very strong team, which I have worked uh, with them since uh, 2001. Uh, so I love this continuity in my team. Uh, so this collectivity is so important in my creative work because they do challenge me and I like challenges. Uh, so the reason that I'm saying that I'm an independent filmmaker, so I do change the, the what can I say? I do change the roads. Uh, when I think that, you know, the road is okay, closed and I cannot go, you know, more, I cannot, uh, you know, there is nothing to to see. So I just immediately change. I mean, I either fly or climb or whatever. <laughs> but if you belong to uh, an institution, I mean, if you, if I work for a TV station or, you know, like that. So there are so many things, there are so many other decision makers. Uh, so I cannot have this freedom that I have had. It's the positive way of, you know, um, defining 
uh, how the uh, independent filmmakers work. But on the other hand, you don't have money. I mean, you have to apply and you have to make, um, you know, the sponsors will uh, believe in you. So, I mean, if you think kind of out of box, if you think something unconventional, and sometimes it is not easy for the sponsors to sponsor your ideas. So such things are, of course, it's very challenging. And I usually like, you know, when I'm doing my films, it's not at the very beginning, like everybody really say, yes, 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 go girl kind of thing. It takes some time, uh, but I always trust my, my inner uh, voice. Did you find this a particularly hard film to make just because Seyran is so heavily police protected within Europe? Uh, first of all, it was not very easy to, uh, to you know, come to nearer to her because, you know, there are lots of restrictions. And I remember that, you know, the first time we uh, filmed her, we couldn't close the door. And uh, so I really wanted to close the door because, you know, there were lots of noises from the other places. Uh, but there was another, uh, there was a, you know, a policeman waiting in front of the door. And then he said that he cannot close the door. And, uh, and I'm very sensitive with the voice. And I really want to have, a, you know, a good voice for my film. So, uh, you know, these type of challenges you, uh, you meet, like... Um, but when I, you know, uh, start to work with her, then I, I know the other policemen. So they trusted in me. So it was easier. Uh, so, yes, of course, all the, all the projects have their barriers, but you should be patient. And, uh, and it's very important that you can never, ever get the things that you want immediately. It takes time. What can we expect from you coming up now? Uh, I have uh, actually, I have been working on uh, four projects right now. Uh, one is about, uh, I'm making a film about a Turkish uh, a pediatrician who is 81 year old uh, living in Norway. And she wants to start a podcast uh, because she wants to uh, talk to Turkish immigrant youth and Turkish women about body and the taboos that they have. Uh, so I'm going to follow her dream of creating this podcast and coming to the very fragile stories of people about the taboos that they have experienced. And uh, with this film, so I want to show that, you know, sky is the limit. Age is not the limit. So you can always learn things and you can always change the world. And, uh, and I'm also making a short film about Corona. I'm making an in-treatment with Corona. It's a, a kind of surrealistic <laughs> film. And I'm also uh, producing two films. Uh, one is uh, from uh, Baghdad. Uh, and we are um, following a young activist in Baghdad. Uh, she is like kind of uh, Malala in Baghdad, Baghdad, one can say. Uh, and then I'm also making, uh, I'm also producing uh, a, 
children's television, uh, a series uh, about uh, a couple and their two kids. Uh, the man, the, the father is Norwegian and the mother is uh, uh, Polish. And uh, the kids longing uh, to their uh, grandma who lives in Poland. So I'm kind of interested in this multicultural families and inclusion and uh, so uh, making all the um, uh, cultures kind of mingle together. Uh, so these are the projects that I'm working on right now. Well, Nafis, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I wish you nothing but luck with this film and I hope it does really thank well. You. I, I hope it does really well right now at San Francisco Film Festival for you. Thank you very much, Robert. It was so great to talk. To, uh, it was so great talking to you. Did you know that there was this much archival material when you started making this film? So actually, it's been a long journey in starting to make the film. I first met Will about eight years ago um, and then spent a few years getting to know him and his story. Um, but after getting to know Will, I realized I really wanted to highlight this expedition from his life um, and he gave us access to all of his archives and uh, there are so many incredible archives to work with. He had thousands of photographs, um, incredible 16 millimeter footage, um, but then also every night in his tent in Antarctica, Will actually recorded these audio journal recordings along the way. So we had a lot of archive to work with, which was really uh, incredible and special on this project. You really allowed, especially the landscape to breathe. A lot of the archival material, you, <laughs> you gave it to us and you, and you let it breathe. Was this a conscious decision from the very get-go when you first started delving into this archival material? Yes, that's a great question because, you know, for us in creating this film, we really wanted people to be able to experience uh, these places and for it to feel really immersive. So we really did want that those landscapes to kind of feel like they could come to life. Um, and, you know, our hope is that I think when people think of the loss of ice or the loss of ice shelves, it feels so foreign and remote. It's hard to connect with, but we really wanted to kind of give that character to these spaces um, so that throughout the film, when you realize the changes that been, have been happening, you can better connect to um, that sense of loss with the ice that we're seeing. Did you, did you really grasp before he went back and, and started it, and seeing all that, how much it really had changed? Were, were you even shocked yourself at how much it really had changed at that point? Yeah, I think for me, just knowing Will and his eyewitness story to the changes that he's seen, um, you know, I, I had known so much about the changes that are happening in Antarctica in our polar regions, but to really go and firsthand, um, you know, we were able to see calving um, that's happening there in Antarctica, to see that firsthand was, was really stunning. And also just to be able to be there with Will and to see through his eyes, um, I think was really a powerful experience uh, to really grasp the magnitude of these changes. Um, but something that Will says in the film that really resonates with me is he says, you know, a melted drop from Antarctica ripples throughout the rest of the world. So these changes that we are seeing there that you can see firsthand, we're starting to see these changes in our own backyards as well. 
how do you feel about film as a medium for actual change? When did, when was the moment that you realized a film maybe can change the world? Well, first of all, I absolutely do believe that film and any story has the power to create change. Um, I think the first time that I really grasped that was when I was really young. Um, my mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother all immigrated to the United States, and I was first generation on my mom's side to be born in the U.S. Um, and when they left, one of the only things that they could really bring with them were photographs and images of our family um, that they had to leave behind. So I remember being really young and looking at these photographs and images with them and just really feeling transported to another world and also just feeling this immense sense of connection that really inspired me. Um, it felt like this complete portal to another sense of understanding when they were talking about um, and sharing these stories with me. So I think that was the first time that I just really grasped the power of an image um, and what a tool for connection that can be. Um, and then over the years, just really fell in love with photography, storytelling, um, filmmaking, um, and uh, just what an incredible tool it can be to build that connection. And I think it's through those connections that we can really spark and ignite change. You mentioned that you met Will eight years ago. How did that all come to be? And did you immediately know that you were going to make a documentary on him all the way back then? Well, so um, growing up in Minnesota, Will was a hometown hero and just such a local legend. And I remember being um, young and hearing stories of his Transantarctica expedition, expeditions to the North Pole. Um, it felt like everyone was spinning yarns about this incredible polar explorer who um, had done all these remarkable feats. And so he was really an inspiration to me growing up. Um, and uh, had had very much an inspiration and impact on the work that I wanted to do in terms of, um, you know, bringing my lens to a natural world as a tool to really ignite uh, awareness and change around these spaces. Um, so then eventually that led me to working with National Geographic expeditions um, and leading educational expeditions around the world for filmmaking photography, um, and then that led me to my path of um, meeting Will. Um, and through meeting Will, uh, you know, I think immediately first upon meeting him, it just felt like my path had led me uh, to this moment where I knew I really wanted to be able to share his story with other people because I could really see the effect and impact it had on my own journey as well. When you were trying to craft this film, um, were, were you actually, was it a conscious decision for you to try to film your new kind of stuff to fit in with the archival material? Did it kind of just work out or did you maybe get a little bit lucky in, in, in how it all edited together? Was it a conscious decision for you to try to mold everything together? Yes. I think, you know, getting to know Will now, um, as I got to know him and we started filming, I started to realize just what an impact that the Trans-Antarctica Expedition had on his life and how much it changed and transformed and pivoted him to where he is today. Um, and even though that expedition happened 30 years ago, uh, when he talks about it, it still feels so present and so timeless because um, so many of the themes and issues that they were noticing then are still at front of mind now. 
um, whether it's with um, the Paris Accord um, compared to the Antarctic Treaty then and needing to um, ignite international cooperation um, to so many other things that we're seeing in terms of the changes. It just felt like such a, um, a powerful way uh, to show um, that message now uh, and how much it still rings true. And so I knew we really wanted to center on that story. And then Will now at age 75, I think he's been in such a, um, a state of really reflecting on his legacy and um, what kind of impact he wants to make. And also, um, you know, that theme of hindsight as well, looking to look back on one's life. Um, and so as we started working on the film, it became clear to me that I really wanted to be able to show this beautiful juxtaposition of past and present, what it is like to look back at your life, but also to still be learning lessons from it today. What would you say some of the biggest challenges of making this film were, though? Some of the biggest challenges of making this film, I think, you know, for me, it was my first feature documentary. So I was really learning along the way. And in so many ways, this um, documentary felt like an expedition of its own. Uh, there are so many hurdles and challenges, but you really just have to keep your eyes on the North Star to keep going. Um, so I think, you know, the biggest challenge was just the learning curve of, of knowing that I wanted to tell the story, knowing I wanted to create this feature documentary, and then finding and paving those steps along the way to get there. Um, so there was just a lot of learnings. Uh, but I think one of the biggest challenges itself um, was just filming in really remote locations. Because when we're filming in the Arctic or going to Antarctica, we're in locations where the pre-production is just so important. Um, because if you're missing a battery or media, just the smallest little detail, there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else for backup. Um, so I think that, you know, there was just an immense amount of planning that went into that. And the production itself was largely myself and then my other cinematographer and producer, Sebastian Zeck, um, as a two-person team. So I think, you know, just really juggling and learning to wear all of those hats out there in the field in a very remote location had its own challenges, but also just an incredible adventure. Well, what can we expect from you coming up? Well, right now, I'm very excited to be starting to share the film um, and we're starting our festival run and hopefully be able to get it out there on a larger scale very soon. Um, and then starting to develop what comes next. We're still in very early stages, but um, still very focused on, um, you know, looking at stories that can really build that personal connection uh, to our natural world. Tasha, thank you so much for coming on here. I wish you nothing but luck. This is a truly beautiful film, and I hope it does really well coming out of San Francisco for you. Thank you so much. So great to be here. Thank you for listening. I'd like to thank Prano, Nafis, Tasha for all coming on the show today, all the other filmmakers that were involved with San Francisco Film Festival this year. There were some, uh, some really worthwhile films, and I think that you should take a deeper dive into the actual festival there um check out what played everything that we watched here in the show is in the show notes you can get everything there uh times of the interviews everything like that join us next week when we're covering the calgary underground film festival until then this concludes our broadcast day <laughs>